everyone welcome to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast that deep dives all the franchises one movie in one episode at a time i'm your host mike snoonian and today we are diving into a little micro franchise right now a little mini one a wee one if we were similar to what we did with gremlins last holiday season we are going to talk about the orphan series for the next two shows and i think it's a great one to talk about because it's surprise sequel was one of the best movies of the year. Um, but first, we have the 2009 Dark Castle Spectacular Orphan to get into. I am not alone. I am joined by a pair of my favorite co-hosts tonight. Suck it, Brian, Steven, and every I kid, I kid. We love you guys, too. Uh, but I am here first with Jessica Scott. Jessica, how are we? I am great. Thank you so much. I'm always glad to be here. Always happy to have you on. Always, always a pleasure to have you on. And I am also joined, you've heard her on The Losers Club, you've heard her on Halloweenies, you've read her work on Dread Central in a million other places who I can't remember right now because I am that tired. Rachel Reeves, how are we? Hey, happy to be here. So glad to have you both back, especially after we just had you on for Halloween Ends. So it is such a pleasure to have you back on. It's been a while. It's been a couple weeks. Feels still thinking about Halloween ends. Still thinking about it, huh? <laughs> still thinking about Corey, you know. Oh, uh, you know what I, we didn't do during that show that I wanted to do? I wanted to do like, all right, five words that rhyme with Corey and just do the whole Simp Lisa Simpsons bit. Um, but like when we hit stop record eight different things like popped into my head about what we could have <laughs> else we could have done could have gone for another hour at least we really could have we really could have someone um tweeted at us like this show was like incomprehensible they were like they were like this is like the worst episode and i'm like uh thanks you know like i loved right. it i love that comment part of me was like yeah, ruffling some feathers. Right. Somebody didn't like that we liked it. Somebody didn't like that. I liked I'll it. I'll keep listening because I think your show is awesome. I'm like, you could lead with that one. You I... know, you could lead with that, man. Like, world is crazy right now. Be nice. Like we're a little, you know, punch up, not down at little guys like us. So, and that was a dude running for office. You know, like shocking. Like Jesus. <laughs> you know? shaking babies and kissing oh i knew he's holding a cute little baby in his hand in the picture and everything and i'm like just weird do i edit no we keep this part in we keep this in we're gonna <laughs> shame that listener because that's our oh, goal no shame. It's just, one you know he said he liked us thanks he for did eventually but you know it's kind of like waking up at like right. five o'clock in the morning and i like oh let's see what the oh great fantastic Back to bed I go. Back to bed to <laughs> ponder every decision. All right, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about this movie. 
Because I read somewhere that if you wait more than three minutes to talk about your topic, people turn you off. So we're kind of edging up on that right now. So well, here we go. Let's go. Initial thoughts. Rachel, why don't you lead off? When did you first see Orphan? And what were your initial thoughts on this movie? All right. I know this is going to be a surprise to everybody, but like, I'll admit it. You know, I'm not perfect. Um, I <laughs> kidding. I slept on this one really, <laughs> really hard. I creepy dolls and creepy kids like that's usually not my fave genre. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's fine. Like, I don't know. They kind of creep me out. I just don't gravitate towards towards them. So I put this in that category, mm-hmm. judged it by the cover and uh, never watched it. <laughs> and then, you know, somewhere along the line, the twist got spoiled for me, which was fine. Made me kind of less inclined to watch it. Really? Yeah. But then like, okay, but then the sequel came out and everybody was like, holy shit, this is amazing. This is incredible. I can't believe it. And I was like, okay, fine. I have to, I'm that kind of person that I can't watch the sequel unless I've seen, you mm-hmm. know, I have to watch them all in order. Even if the sequel's a prequel. Yep. Okay. Got to got to put it in context. Mm-hmm. And so, and then as I'm watching it, I was like, "Oh damn, this is actually like pretty awesome." Mm-hmm. So, I was wrong, and that was my fault, and that's on me. Excellent. Did you have a preference, like when you watch these pretty close to one another? Oh, I having watched you know the first one first, and then watching Orphan Kills. I loved Orphan Kills. Yep. But. Then going back to watch this one after Orphan Kills and seeing just how even better how they fit together. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's great. I loved it. But yeah, Orphan Kills, I, you know, clapping, standing ovation. (laughs) Jessica, what was your first experience with this movie? Um, I had a coworker named Kelly. The worst. Who I'm still bittered towards. Kelly is the worst. Um, Who spoiled me on this movie a couple of years after it came out. But I hadn't seen it and I hadn't heard anything about it other than people loved it. So I was very bitter and just kind of thought, well, I guess I just don't need to watch the movie now. It's been spoiled and I just had this bad taste in my mouth. So I just avoided it. Um, But leading up to Orphan Kills, before it had come out and before everybody was talking about how amazing it is, which it is, I thought, you know what? Screw Kelly. I'm Mm going to watch this movie. (laughs) And I absolutely loved it. Like I was very tense the whole time. Uh, I was much less tense the second time because the surprise factor was out and I understood more the high camp Mm -hmm. elements that made it so much funnier than uncomfortable. Um, But I was obsessed. I was obsessed with Isabel Furman. The movie was fantastic. And then I was raring to go to watch Orphan Kills to make sure I would not be spoiled on that one because I was like, damn if I'm going to get spoiled on two Orphan movies, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So... I waited a really long time to watch it, but even having been spoiled by freaking Kelly, um, I still loved it. And I, it's, I really, really, really enjoy these movies. Yeah. I, I'm in the camp, same camp as both of you. We're all on the same page here. I love this movie. I watch it in theaters. I'm pretty sure opening weekend, um, with a really fun and enthusiastic crowd. I probably went to see it a couple times in theaters. Cause it just was like one of those movies. Like this is just pure fun. Um, and I'm all for that. Um, rewatching it for the show, like I fell in love with it all over again. Like I had kind of forgotten how much I really love this movie. Uh, and rewatching it again for the show, I'm like, oh, I am so glad we picked this as a little kind of like palate cleanser right now in between like bigger franchises. 
without the twist, it is one of the like the more bug nut, like really wild genre efforts to come from this era. And when I think of like the late aughts, when I think of like 2005 through 2010, it's mostly like these really safe movies, like remakes, paranormal movies, the Saw films. Nothing really is out there taking these big leaps. And then this one is just like, fuck it. We're just going to do whatever we want. Um, it feels like an American telenovela. Like something happens like every five to ten minutes in this movie that just builds on the craziness of it. It's like really strange and exciting. And it's like they have to hit a mark. Like every ten minutes something weird has to happen to keep you engaged. Um and I think what really helps is that everybody in this cast is completely dialed in to what their role is. Like everyone is just giving it 110%. Even like from all the way from the leads, like Peter Sarsgaard and Vera Farmiga and obviously Isabel Furman, but even like the mother-in-law, like she gets two scenes in this movie and I can't wait to talk about her because she is <laughs> the worst, like the absolute <laughs> literal worst. Um, so yeah, I am really happy to talk about this. So let's talk a little bit about the movie proper or the background of the movie before we dive into it here. Um, the script for it from David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, which what a long name that is, was featured on the blacklist in 2007. So it was one of the top unproduced scripts, like ones to look out for. Uh, and based on this script and future ones, uh, McGoldrick would go on to be like a right-hand man for James Wan. Like you look at his filmography and he wrote Aquaman and Aquaman 2. He did the second and third Conjuring movies uh, and about a dozen episodes of The Walking Dead. So he's built like a pretty steady career. Um, his original script is a lot darker and even more messed up. So couple examples I found of this was it was revealed that Esther is admitted to the Sarn Institute for the Criminally Insane after she kills her father as retaliation for like years of physical and sexual abuse that started when she was an infant and it left her unable to have children of her own. Like that's why she's so obsessed with yeah. her daddies. So fucking yikes. I am glad that's not in there. That's one of those things you're like, yep, that's a good cut right there we definitely don't need like babies getting abused um yeah. the esther and john seductions couch scene was described as longer and more sexually graphic which is like wow like i didn't go into detail and i'm thinking do we Good. need to <laughs> find the uncut version of the script and do it as one of our future episodes because <laughs> I, I don't imagine that John and Esther consummate anything in any way. I imagine it's Esther basically probably saying more graphic language, but just that description is enough to be like, okay. Um, Esther succeeds in killing Daniel at the hospital, which I think would have been awesome. Cause uh, that kid sucked. Dude, there's... She already lost one oh, kid, though. Yeah. Come on. Well, we'll definitely talk about like what this family at the end of this movie. Oh um, but that that kid just like looked like a little shit weasel. Like he had this look on his face the whole movie where you're like, 
just like some faces need to be punched. And that was definitely <laughs> one of them. Um, Esther lives at the end of the movie. Like she, it's like her putting on makeup and greeting the police. Apparently the whole last act takes place in the house, not at the lake whatsoever. Uh, and you get the implication that she enjoys like torturing and killing animals, which again, you know, don't really need that in the script. Like you get enough in here without that. So, uh, directed by Spanish director, uh, Wa- is it Wam or Jay? I don't know how to pronounce this. I, I think it's Yame. Yame, okay. So Spanish director, Yame Cole Serra. And if he has like a specialty, it's either fuck it, let's have fun, because his movies are just <laughs> weird. Or does Liam Neeson feel like snapping necks and cashing checks this month? Like that is his two subgenres. <laughs> He's done, uh, debuted with the House of Wax remake. Which, fun fact, I watched for the first time this year for my other show, and what a delight that movie is. Like, did not know how good that movie is. Uh, but oh, he's yeah. he's it. got three films with Liam Neeson. Uh, Run All Night, which is Liam Neeson in The Mob. Uh, Nonstop, which is Liam Neeson doing Taken on an Airplane. And The Commuter, which is Liam Neeson does Taken, but on the subway. So he's definitely got something good going there. And uh, did The Shallows with Blake Lively. Uh, his biggest hit is probably right now with Black Adam. He's the director of that with The Rock. So one of those guys that like makes a bunch of movies you've probably seen, have probably enjoyed, and don't realize it's him, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. He's also, he's also quite a babe. <laughs> Just going to say. He kind of look as I go yeah, to Google. He kind of looks yeah. like is it? I think Javier. I'm trying to think of the dude from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, he looks a little bit like a younger version of him. Like he's kind of like slightly hotter younger Ooh. brother. So yeah, yeah. All these genre be, directors are secret babes. Yep. Something oh. about is good for the skin. Apparently, it's really <laughs> good. So um, there was a line of the trailer cut. Um, after adoption agencies, foster care agencies, and adoptive parents, they objected to the line in the trailer, it must be hard to love an adopted child as much as your own. Um, oh, God, but good. Was, That's awful. You know, sometimes the truth hurts. Um, sometimes. <laughs> my mom okay. was adopted. So. Excuse you, Mike. Okay. And my uncle. And did your grandparents so, love your mom my... like less than the other children? Like, can you speak to this? They or... didn't have other children, so all their kids were. Oh, so, yeah. So don't oh, you feel great? Okay. No. <laughs> no, no, I feel fucking horrible. Um, you know. That guy who said the tweet is like, ha, take that. Yeah, so, whoops. I kid, I kid. But also, so, that line is, yeah, I can see why they would cut that out. It is, a, you can see. Yeah, there, there's a lot of this that, even with the cuts made, that is very traumatic for, you know, for losing a baby mm-hmm. or you know, adoption yeah. traumas. Yes. There's a lot of yeah. trauma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll get to my, you know, I'll say my hot take now. My hot take, I would have ended this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that John is obviously dead. The, I would have had the brother killed in the mm-hmm. hospital. And I would have ended the movie with Kate dying as well. Like, I would have ended it. So at the end of the movie, Kate is dead, Esther is dead, and Max is the new orphan. <gasps> and the next movie would have been, like, I would have done Orphan 2 with Max at that point. 
being the new killer. Oh my killer. gosh, you heard it here first. Wait, she's a killer? That's what it would have been. You couldn't have like Orphan 2 and Max is just a sweet orphaned kid trying to find yeah. love in the world, you know? Like, no. What if Esther... Two, Mad Max. What if Esther lives... And adopts yeah, her? Mad Max, that's, that's great. No, or like... Max gets adopted and then she like hunts her down or something. So it would have been Child's <laughs> yeah. Play too. It would have been <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, we already did that. Right. right. Um No, my head canon is that Esther lives. I, I know she sinks mm-hmm. down with that bullet wound, but in my head Esther's still kicking. Yeah, out. I'd like to think she is too. I remember because it had been so long. I like remembered it ending with her living for some reason. But I yeah, I feel like, I mean, she kicks her, right? And her yeah. neck is like... Yeah, and her, her, I think she breaks her neck and she's shot mm-hmm. and she's in a frozen pond, but still. I mean... We've seen worse. I don't know, Jason yeah, came back. we've seen worse. Right? Esther's a survivor. So, yeah. all right. Did you know there was a real-life Esther? No. Yeah, this is... Shut up. loosely based on a true story. So there's a lot of articles uh, about this. I took this one from Slash Film, the creepy true story behind Orphan. So a few years mm. before this movie came out, there was a woman, Barbora Skarlova, an adult woman passing as a 13-year-old named Annika. She was, quote-unquote, adopted by two sisters, Clara and Katrina, who uh, Clara had two young sons of her own, age 8 and 10, and they took Barbora in and passed her off as their 13-year-old adopted daughter. Now... Wait, did they know she was yes. older? Oh, okay. yes, they knew. Um, all three women would go on to commit horrible abuse against the two boys, um, basically doing like Harry Potter cosplay, but like chapter one and two of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone cosplay, where the boys were kept in a broom closet, locked up and tied up like that's where they lived. And they had cameras on them to make sure they couldn't get out. Um, they were kept naked in the broom closet, according to the story. The only reason it was discovered was a technical glitch in the camera system allowed the next door neighbors to see the boys on their baby Uh. monitor camera, at which point Uh. the authorities were called in. Um, the two, uh, sisters, Clara and Katrina were arrested, but the cops thought Barbora was a child. So they let her go and basically brought her to like a children's home, like a home for, you know, (laughs) and she escaped a few days later from there, went on the run. And she is only caught after she's taken in by a family in Oslo, Norway, uh, posing as Adam, a 13 year old boy. Like the cops could not find anything like who's this, you know, um, Annika woman. Uh, or young woman, and they eventually put two and two together and pieced together that Adam was Annika, who was Barbora. So she was arrested and charged with uh, endangering children and child abuse in 2008. She was sentenced to eight years in prison for child abuse, but she was released in 2011. And no one really knows, like, she lives a private life at this point and, you know, doesn't really talk about this at all. So fucking crazy just yeah also baby monitors are terrible yeah (laughs) yeah so whenever i babysit my niece i'm just like i can't 
take my eyes off it, but also I'm just like we have something else that's gonna. We have like three cameras set up outside, like the doorbell camera, a porch camera, and one at our shed, so we could look at like the wildlife because we get a ton of it. Um, and every now and then, like, well, yeah, I just see my daughter come in and out, and I can tell if she's walked the dog. You know, like, all right, your turn to walk the dog. I did. I'm like, no, you didn't, because we have cameras. Um, <laughs> And we have like pet cameras. And when my wife is overseas, she'll text me like, why are you up at three in the morning listening to John Denver? Because she can hear it from the. You're like, I wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, and you were singing. And I'm like, shut up. So yeah, cameras in general, we weren't meant to be on camera this much. So, Um, but movies a hit, like it's a $20 million budget, which seems pretty high. Because like there's yeah. no real stars in the like in this movie. Like Vera Farmiga isn't really a star at this point. This is a few years pre uh the conjuring. And she even says, like, one of the big reasons I took this role was because I was gonna get paid for a change. Um yeah. so like it doesn't it seems like high, like twenty million, but what do I know? Um does about eighty million worldwide and probably does like a truckload more in like DVD and blu-ray so it's a pretty big hit which is like to your point jessica like i am kind of surprised that they never followed up on this until 2022 uh when isabel Furman is 25 years old playing a nine-year-old uh playing even younger because the movie is a prequel so hot shit i, I mean it probably just took somebody that had like I mean, I'm sure they thought mm-hmm. about it, but they were like, oh, it's not possible. Like, we've waited to, like, she's grown mm-hmm. up now. It just, like, probably literally took somebody to be, like, like have the guts to Why say, not? Like, no, we can do mm-hmm. this. You just yeah. have to get really creative yeah. and, like, be willing to, like, how do we do mm-hmm. this? I think it was her. Like, Isabel Furman was like, I want to play Esther again so badly. She was like, I don't care how we need to do it. And the way yeah. they did it, I mean, we'll get into it yeah. next time. But Which yeah, is, yeah. it was genius. It was really well done. Was there a TikTok of her like dressed as Esther, just partying it up on Halloween? Okay, (laughs) I love her so much. Like I absolutely adore Isabel Furman. Just like I, I think uh, was it Emile or Emily? Like the movie where she plays like the evil babysitter. Uh, Another like mid two thousand tens. Like it's worth a watch. Like she plays like a really really awful babysitter uh definitely worth your time um yeah i just adore her and love how she's embraced this character so to if, if you're listening out there miss Furman, like big fans you're invited on the show absolutely anytime um all right what do we want to start with do we want to start with like that traumatic opening scene because like it feels almost out of place with the rest of this movie because it this kind of like surreal nightmare and you kind of know early on it's a bad dream because her husband is also playing the doctor and it has a surreal quality to it um what always gets me with this scene is just when uh kate wakes up from it how casual it is like you don't have that big gasping moment where she sits up in a cold sweat she just like simply Mm -hmm. opens her eyes it's quiet there's no music there's no big stinger and you just realize that she's had this dream many 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 nights and it's a really jarring way to open the movie yeah 
it's like I mean it's intense like I don't have kids but I I mean I it, this is hard mm-hmm. <laughs> to watch it is yeah like I I one of the, I I asked Mike on our group chat about this movie if he had covered on it on psychoanalysis for reasons we'll mm-hmm. get into especially with uh, Kate's therapist and some other mm-hmm. things but just how how deep it goes into birth trauma and you know loss of a child all these things like gynecological trauma so many things that are so intense right up front like mm-hmm. i couldn't help but think like god i feel so sorry for people who had no mm-hmm. warning and who have experienced that and were like yeah. having it thrown in their faces in the theater you know i'm not saying they, they should have cut it from the movie but i was just i felt a lot of empathy for people who maybe that was mm-hmm. too much for them that that i think it's really well done but i also couldn't help but think god i can't imagine being in that situation um but i do i do like that it kind of throws you in with that surreal quality and then we're thrown into the more grounded mm-hmm. well grounded you know <laughs> this is mm-hmm. still a very uh, unreal campy movie but that first part it's not camp so much as just nightmare logic. it feels so yeah. different from the tone yeah. of the rest of the movie like it's a completely at odds with the rest of it um and I, I agree, like, if you kind of think you're going into, like, because you would, you know, you, obviously the twist isn't revealed in any of the trailers, but you still would watch the trailer and be like, oh, this is going to be a fun night at the movies. And you have this absolutely, like, really harrowing, like, the vacuuming. I think that the thing that gets me is, like, the suctioning yeah. is what really yeah. gets to me in that scene. I mean, it really like had me for that first few minutes. Like, maybe I don't want to watch this, you know, that kind of feeling. Like, oh, I don't know if I'm like, oh, this is where we're going. But then, you know, she wakes up and she goes to the bathroom and she's taking, you know, her medicine and it does that, you know, horror thing where she like moves the mirror. And then when she puts it back, I just like instinctually like expected like her husband to be behind her or like, you know, and some like, oh, hey, are you okay? Like that kind of thing. But I loved how they don't do that. And you just kind of see it's just her. Mm -hmm. And she she woke up from this horrible thing that's been clearly like like you said, she doesn't wake up in a cold sweat. It's like, oh, that dream again. Like, great. Mm -hmm. And I just think that she's there in the bathroom by herself, just kind of going through that. That's the moment where I thought that like, okay, this is, this is better than I thought. And like, this is different because I think there's a lot you can unpack from that. Just the fact that she's still dealing with this, like this is still very present in her Mm -hmm. life and, you know, and then her husband's just sleeping. Yeah. So yeah, I, you get the feeling that like John has largely moved on from what has happened. And I think, you know, I can only speak as a man, but I think it's the difference between being able to carry, having to carry the child within you for so long. And then like, I think at one point, like she, it was in her, like Pat, it was dead for 16 days uh, and having to, you know, and you're like how awful that is. Like that is just like really, difficult so you get this weird in this otherwise a really fun movie this really traumatic moment and it didn't hit me until now as we're talking about it like one of the things i kind of made a mental note of is like why do do they want to adopt someone who is pretty close to their own children in age 
not to say that like you can't do that, but I'm like, why don't they want like a someone younger because they're already all at the same stage at this point? And it hit me that maybe it would have been too hard to like, adopt a small yeah. baby or an infant because of of just reminding of the loss at that point. So I don't know, um, but I do like how you know like that loss is going to inform so much of what happens throughout the rest of uh rest of this movie and how they're kind of processing everything so yeah and you know esther's so good at reading people she probably picks up on the loss and the dynamics because they set up how this marriage is fracturing Mm -hmm. and kind of ripping apart at the beginning and she picks up on that immediately and knows how to manipulate that and use it to her advantage Mm -hmm. i really like this not a love triangle but i like the (laughs) triangle of dynamics between you know kate and john and esther it's it's fascinating it's a love triangle it's a little bit of (laughs) god what if they went the route if she revealed that she was 30 to john and he's like oh i guess it's okay then and left (laughs) um on a completely unserious note, moving off like the really traumatic part, like the orphanage to me gives off serious, like what is it going to take to get you into this like kid with dead parents vibe today, right? Like they are like at one point, like this, the head ner- uh, nun played by CCH Pounder is like, yeah, I can just get you the paperwork right now and you'll have the kid in three weeks. So I'm like, what is that? Like how they... <laughs> Just know. you know, um, not sure that's how it works. Serious <laughs> used car salesman vibes going on from these nuns, and just the fact that they're kind of like let, letting like this dude walk around the orphanage completely unattended struck me as a little bit weird. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if they do background checks. I'm sh- sure they do, right? Well, in real life. In real life, uh, yes. Right. <laughs> right. Well, in real life, they do. But here, they're like, we don't even have any paperwork on her, really. Like, don't know where she came from. <laughs> um, no, we just found her in the attic. You know? <laughs> We're not even sure she's an orphan. Like, she was wandering around Target. And... <laughs> I am very curious, you guys, because, okay, that he goes upstairs and like hears her singing and like oh hey little girl what's up and they like start having this conversation and my question to you is would you be interested in adopting this child based on that first conversation no she is terrifying she's terrifying (laughs) she's terrifying (laughs) like she's obviously very bright um but in a not even just precocious but an unworldly Mm -hmm. way and it's it's she is she is very terrifying and clearly far too eager to please which i can you know i myself am not adopted uh but i can imagine that if you're in a situation where you want to be adopted you would be eager to please prospective parents uh-huh. but there's a level of manipulation to what the way she's doing it that is far too unsettling yeah. for me <laughs> it i uh, i think my curiosity would be peaked do you know what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like this child is like so different, like so much different from all the others that she would kind of stand out. But I think I would have like, even if the movie didn't play out, let's say she's just like, let's say this plays out like a family drama and she's just this kind of like weird little kid. 
I think mm-hmm. pretty quickly I would tire of her. Do you know what I mean? I think <laughs> I would just be like, who is this way older than her years? Like nine years. Yeah. And I think I would honestly at some point say your parents didn't die. They escaped. Uh, just like. Really... What? Yeah. All the hot takes tonight. I am. <laughs> if there's one thing listeners have learned over the course of 160 episodes, I am not a good person. <laughs> just, I am really just not a nice person. Um, what? I, so yeah, I think I would tire for pretty quickly. Yeah, I just she's just throwing red oh, flags yeah. all over. I feel like she like she's way too talkative and like I never go downstairs because nobody's ever interested yeah, in me. I just do these just weird like, creepy oh paintings, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Did you yeah. paint these all by yourself? It's like, whoa, John, slow your roll there a little bit, dude. Just yeah. I thought like they took her home that day for some reason and, and it didn't hit me until rewatching it again that like no, they actually did wait. Um, one thing I noticed rewatching this was the look that CCH Pounders Nun gives, like when she first sees Kate and John talking to Esther, she has this look on her face, like, should I tell them that this child is defective or nah? Like, she almost wants to step in, like, this one's actually not for sale, like... This is the this is like the the uh, floor model one that we have people come into the building to check out. But you have to take one of these other children because she just knows something is wrong with her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And CCH Pounder is she's an amazing actress, but she's the master of the background acting Mm -hmm. that Mm. does so much more than even what's Mm -hmm. happening in the foreground. But I just love that Mm -hmm. moment because it's. It gets maybe a little confusing later on when she seems surprised that there's something yeah. wrong with Esther. Uh, but I do like that movie. She just shows up like, oh, I didn't tell you. Like one of the things <laughs> I didn't tell you when you were, you know, like deciding what child to adopt is like, oh, I think one of the things that they reveal in the uh, in the original script, the mm-hmm. Kate and John were actually going to adopt a different child. And the day before they go to pick up that child, uh, it is found like hanging in a closet and they think like it died during like some sort of weird children's game. So Esther is their second choice. Like she's the backup kid, (laughs) which is that I wish was in this because that's fucking awesome. That is. We've got to do a read of that script. We We do. (laughs) Can we find that? Who's going to. Mike, are you going to be Esther? Uh, <laughs> I would probably, I actually have someone in mind. Like we had Shauna Clark who did the, um, she did like all the behind the, she did like all the line readings or like the stage readings for Halloween four. She was really, really oh, good. Nice. She's a voice actress by, tra- or not a voice actress, but she reads, um, she does like, why can't I fucking think tonight? But she basically reads audiobooks for a living. Uh, she was oh, really, really good. Cool. Like, I would love to have her come on and do that. So yeah. I actually just wrote a note like, find original orphan script, <laughs> and maybe we'll do that. Script, yeah, better put. Some... You know, find, <laughs> find orphans. Orphan. <laughs> so Key detail. I used to, this is another horrible thing, when Ada was really young. 
I would be like, if you and mom go to the store, I want you to yell really loud, help, you're not my mom, and just see no. what and she never did. <laughs> but again. <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. Um, let's talk right now. Let's let's do this. I have it highlighted here. Rachel, you brought up the Vera Farmesia effect. Let's talk about how good she is in this. I mean, I love her. And I just think that she, like, I think she's established herself as, like, I mean, a scream Mm -hmm. queen, basically. Like, she's, you know, not necessarily, like, final girl, typical final girl kind of thing. But she's been in so many, (laughs) in my opinion, uh, so many, like, great horror projects. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she's just, she's got that, you know, that look, that Kate Blanchett, you know, like, beautiful timeless mm-hmm. look and she's just i don't i feel like she's really good at like selling you know the trauma in mm-hmm. this and selling what she's going through but not in a way that comes off like fake or overly dramatic like it feels very real like you can feel the weight of what she's going through and struggling with but it's also not so on the surface i think as maybe some people would play it like I, I just don't know how she does it almost, but she does that. In a, I feel like in a lot of different roles, like she's just very good at conveying that kind of like I'm struggling and going through something, but also it's not completely, you know, completely defining my life. And it's not like just, you know, gushing out of her eyeballs all the mm-hmm. time. Like she's not crying all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like she's got this great combination of like, like, gravity where she has this internality where you see everything happening but she's also got a charisma like it's good the energy is directed inward and outward at the same time which is really compelling on screen um and like you said she's got this classic beauty that just you want to watch her regardless but i just love that kind of push pull of the energy that she's drawing in and putting out and i think that's one reason we love her and why she's so good at genre work because you need to be able to carry movies that way and pull people in at the same time like i yeah. just i think she's perfect for the genre like she's a great actress regardless for genre yeah. but for horror she's just perfect yeah i yeah i couldn't think of like what in terms of like her contributions to horror there's obviously between this and joshua is early efforts then transitioning to like really anchoring um the conjuring series along with patrick wilson which to me it's I think she's like the better of the two. Like I've, I'm on record of not being a huge Patrick Wilson. Uh, yeah. I think he's can be a kind of a charisma black hole uh, in some ways. Um, and then, you know, she did like the first few seasons of Bates motel and you're like, this isn't going to work. Like who wants a cycle prequel? And then she completely nails it. Um, yeah. What struck me here is all of the different tones that she's able to sell I don't think anyone has ever done being exasperated at people better than you see her like here, like when her husband, when her shrink, when no one is listening to her and she's just like eye rollingly fed up with everybody. And you just really feel that exasperation coming off her in pores where she's finally like, I'm done. Like I am like, she even I'm done connecting the dots for you. And she does it in a way that just works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one reason I was so uncomfortable the first time I watched this movie because she 
had me there with her the entire time. I was feeling all of her exasperation and like screaming internally at these people who didn't believe mm-hmm. her, who obviously needed to believe right. her. Like it's so frustrating. I think it's just because she's such a good actress that I was so frustrated the yeah. first time. Yeah, and it's like she, you know, she's clearly like emotionally like very like going through some stuff and she's broken in some ways, but like she's not she doesn't come across weak Never. ever. Like she's mm-hmm. still like strong and she's still fighting and i yeah just her ability to really navigate that those emotions Mm -hmm. is just yeah very impressive i i had this down as like this is a me too movie way before there was a me too movement like the idea like believe women like when they tell you something is wrong don't dismiss them out of hand like you have to at least take a step back, pause and like, okay, why are you telling me this right now? Like there's something and especially as a, like, you know, I'm a parent, but like, I think my wife is more intuitive than I am, you know, with our daughter. Uh, There's just something about, I think like being a mom that makes you can make you a slightly more intuitive when it compared to most dads. Like I, John is just kind of a goof. Um, yeah, just... Oh my gosh! When he's like, like his kids playing like rock band or whatever, and yeah. he's like, "Wow, cool!" Which... <laughs> like I, that makes me laugh Which... all the time. I felt it, that it moment. So real. Oh yeah, I, I totally felt so that real. moment. Like, yeah, awesome. And he just like he even just rolls his eyes like, "Oh god, this shit again." Um, Incredible. The... It was just like, yeah, whatever. The, cool. the other thing that she is able to do is the scenes where she has to go toe-to-toe with Esther and sell being jealous of a nine-year-old. Like, she's obviously angry and jealous over Esther's ability to play the piano and feels, like, hoodwinked by it. She feels like, wait a minute, you've pulled one over on me. And the way, like, when she's, like, when they confront each other over her diary over her journal Hmm. and esther is like oh aren't we past this now like she's able to go toe to toe with her in a way that feels really real uh but also like heightened and ridiculous at the same time without being ludicrous i don't know if that makes any sense the way i'm saying it like you buy that you buy that you have these two juggernauts squaring off with one another and it somehow doesn't feel like, oh, this just ruins the movie at this point. Right. No, and it's funny because, yeah, you can you can feel her being like, mm-hmm. right, that's it. Like, I don't yeah. care if you're a kid. Like, we're yeah. done here. <laughs> you know, and like, I don't know. I've had my parents get mad at me like that before where it's just like, I don't care. Like, I, we're, we're I have a, a distinct memory growing up of like my dad was mad at me about something. I was in the yard with two of my friends. It was like early high school and they like teased me about this mercilessly for the remaining few years or he was like my dad was like he leans out the window from the second floor of the house he's like blah 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 like you're quitting soccer you're quitting wrestling and i don't like you and then just like slam the (laughs) window and i have no idea what i even i can't even tell you He once grounded me for stealing the paperboy's money and my cousin was the one that did it. And when it was revealed, like he's like, you're grounded for like three months. And I'm like, I didn't do it. And when my dad found out it was my cousin, he was like, you probably did something else I don't know about. So you're still grounded for at least a month. I'm like, what the fuck? So it's it's like those moments when you realize that like 
oh shit my parents are just yeah like it's like that like facade goes away and like they're not as like Mm -hmm. in control of themselves as they you Mm -hmm. know present to you know when when you're a kid and then all of a sudden you're like oh man yeah so she's great like she's just absolutely fantastic in this movie the other not the mvp of this movie i have her down as like and this will be an oblique reference like she's the Bill Walton of the '86 Celtics is Max in this movie, played by. I have no idea what that so means. So <laughs> Bill Walton was the sixth man coming off the bench. Like wasn't Larry Bird, wasn't Kevin McHale, wasn't Robert Parrish, but he was like coming off the bench. He'd give you 15 minutes, 10 points, five boards a night. Love to have him there. Love the contributions. Um, Max, played by Ariana Engineer, like love her in this movie like her facial expressions and like the way she plays like disabled child in peril is just fucking Mm. awesome so good she's so good she's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. like the fear and sorrow on her face like when her mom asks her you know has esther been hurting you has esther Esther been doing anything wrong and the clear Mm -hmm. like oh absolutely when she's like no and all tearful ah she breaks my heart every time the oh shit face she makes when the car is careening <laughs> down the hill oh and she just has this like look of pure terror like it's almost like out of home alone um it's like oh my god this kid might die but also this is incredibly funny at the same time <laughs> um yeah i made a brief list of the traumatic events that max undergoes And tell me if I miss anything here. So just in this movie and what you see, not even like what her backstory, she gets pushed in front of a speeding car. She has to drag a body off the street. She has to watch her adoptive sister bludgeon a nun to death with a hammer. As, As one does. She has a gun pointed at her face. She is sent careening through traffic in a speeding vehicle. She watches her brother almost murdered twice. She sees her dad stabbed to death. She's then chased around the house by a gun-toting Esther. She then, the last thing of the movie, watches her mom karate kick what she assumes is a small child (laughs) in the neck, breaking the neck, sending the girl plummeting to her death at the bottom of a frozen pond. So again, like Max coming out of this movie, she is in the next cell over from like Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like they are totally (laughs) just fucking partying down because Max is going to need a lot of therapy after this movie. Yeah, there is. I mean, if you you really want to look into this, I do think that there's some interesting things in this film about... You talked about believing mm-hmm. women, but I think it goes, there's other layers to that. Cause as we know, like she's a recovering mm-hmm. alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So it's believing what she's saying and that getting blamed on her like past addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And then here you've got, you know, this, this small child who's, you know, is a small child. And then there's, you know, that there's the aspect of it that she's also deaf. And so just, there's a lot of people saying things and people wanting to say things and people not listening or not being able to like convey that. So there's, there's a lot there. And I don't think that I'm necessarily qualified enough to unpack all of Mm -hmm. that. But I think that Max is such a beautiful, I mean, she, I mean, she is a kid, she is a kid and she is, you know, at least 
I don't know if she's fully deaf or partially deaf in real life, but I think she's at least partially. I do believe that she that she is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, everything she's doing feels very authentic. And I mean, yeah, where's the Max sequel? Like, even if she's, you know, I I would be sad if she went like full on like killer, but it would be interesting. Maybe there's something there where you could see her mm-hmm. like, you know, taking on killers she's, or like helping other kids. She's pretty quick to like help Esther out. Like, you know, she's pretty quick to kind of go along with. And there comes a point where she can't help but do it. Um, Because she's just terrified of her. But like early on, she's like, okay, I guess we're dragging this body off the road. This is what we're doing. She covers. You also see her like she's had a loss. Like you see Mm -hmm. her, you know, her Mm -hmm. mom reading her this. That scene is heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, like I'm really impressed with how they handle Mm -hmm. a lot of this and how they kind of really actually talk about the loss of this child and how you see how she's talked about it with Max and how Max is still Mm -hmm. like you know, feeling those things, I guess, because mm-hmm. she wants to read this story yep. over and over again. Yeah. And so I think that it's really just kind of cute and sad how she's excited yeah. to have a sister because she was told she was going to get a sister. And as a little kid, you know, can't really process all of that. So her wanting to assist Esther, I think, is actually like pretty believable and tragic and just heartbreaking mm-hmm. and cute all at the same time. Are you getting teary eyed? <laughs> No, she's so. She cute. is super. I mean, she not is. really, but like she is very. Cute. I love. I absolutely love everything about Max in this movie. Like she, like the one character. I'm like, please survive. Like is definitely, is definitely <laughs> oh, God, Max. Yes. Um, and I'm usually I don't mind putting like kids in peril. Like Jessica, you were saying like you know like kids in horror. Mo- I also love like bad kid in horror. Like Bloody Birthday to me is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm early period slashers um just for the scene of like the kid charging like 25 cents or his friends to peer at julie brown topless without her knowing about it dancing in her bedroom i'm like what an awesome kid like this kid rules um <laughs> just because it's like not a good thing to do but like props like a little entrepreneur just like just i don't again not a good person you're learning a lot about me tonight none of it is none of it paints me in a favorable light um because on the other hand like the opposite of max is like danny and danny you know there's like a re if esther's not in this movie this is still a pretty warped fan family like danny is like oh there's a bird sitting on top of my paintball thing what if i shot it you know and it's like i didn't know what would happen when i shot the bird with my gun just like really dude i, I don't yeah. know i feel like that's a pretty i don't know my dad told us growing mm-hmm. up that he shot a squirrel with a bb gun once mm-hmm. when he was a kid and that was like traumatized sure okay (laughs) they don't i and they don't really go into like uh danny as in-depth as max like we don't see him dealing with the loss of jessica directly Mm -hmm. the way we do max but i Mm -hmm. think it's pretty heavily implied that where max is just grieving and wanting a new baby sister danny is the complete opposite he's kind of filled with rage and resentment and he probably thinks of esther as trying to replace jessica and there's a lot going on there. He was already primed to hate Esther before it was revealed that she's, oh, yeah. you know, a maniac. But I, um, I, I think it's interesting that they show two sides of the coin yeah. there. I don't uh-huh. even know if it's that he's like he's replacing like Jessica so much as like he doesn't want another sibling, period. Like he mm-hmm. just wants to like 
be like do his tween things like he wants to play guitar hero with his friends and like oh it's another kid that's taking like dad's attention away from me um that he has to deal with you know he just wants to go into his like amazing clubhouse like that clubhouse is just unreal uh and he just wants to look at like perfect 10 with his like two buddies just look at like treehouse porn um change your life yeah (laughs) and i love that one kid is like this one looks like your mom like because (laughs) that feels like a very real kids moment like we remember growing up like we had a friend who had a really attractive mom and what would we do we would just tell him like your mom is so hotly and he'd shut up that's my mom and it's like but dude your mom super hot like she would get so like because that's what teen boys do to one another we're assholes um you know i had this conversation with a student today a young woman in sixth grade i'm like here is the deal sixth grade boys all of them are idiots every single one of them like that is their job is to be stupid um it doesn't get much better in seventh grade like that's just what kids are like you're you're dumb um but i'm gonna let that just just, just leave it right there. So, <laughs> but I'm not wrong. I mean, like, how many? Just, <laughs> oh, I'm not saying you you're know? wrong. I'm just, yeah, just, just, yeah. As I get yeah. called yeah. into my supervisor's <laughs> office. So, we heard you think all the kids in the district are stupid. So, and that they should die. And that, they should die. And that orphans are, it's funny to punt orphans <laughs> off of bridges. And Wait, did I say that? No, okay. I was just projecting. Okay, just no. projecting. He's <laughs> like, did I say that out loud? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that I thought it would but... be funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like Danny is just, and he's again, like his suit, like Esther just knows how weak he is. Uh, and like the scene where he, she's like, I'll cut off your prick before you even know what to do with it. It's just awesome. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty That's fun. a great line. Yeah. <laughs> so. Before we talk about Esther, I do want to mention the mother-in-law. Um, I do. Cause she's only... <laughs> Look, I'm very fortunate in that like my mom is awesome. Um, and my wife has often said, why can't your mom be my mom? And be like, well, then we couldn't mm. be married because we're not yeah. we're not from the it's south. Weird. So that would be weird. Uh, hey, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Because like, oh, Jessica, be- right? because my mother-in-law is not awesome. Um, wow. The two scenes that this woman is in, she absolutely ruinous. Um, in the kitchen, in the course of 90 seconds, she's like, oh, yeah, it's your fault. Your daughter is deaf because you weren't paying attention and she had an accident. Uh, so I'm going to remind you of that. But before you can recover from that blow, uh, oh, yeah, you lost a really good job and they don't want you back at this point because you fucked it up so bad. And, oh, yeah, before you can recover from that, the reason why you can't um, go back to it is because you were a drunk and you're in recovery. Like, she's absolutely brutal. It is like watching Mike Tyson in the early 80s just, like, pound the shit out of somebody. Like, it's a knockout. And then after that, like, at the hospital, she's like, you're, when Esther's like, can I have a dollar for the machine? She's like, she doesn't just give it to her and let her go. She's like, makes it a point to say, your mother wants you to sit here. 
Then she breaks out with this huge grin, gives her the dollar, and tells her to run off. Yeah. And that one decision directly leads to the death of her only son. <laughs> so, like, that is, like, queen shit. Like, five minutes on screen, and she kills it. Also, like, she, you know, she's very, very mom-like. You know, points out all the, the faults mm-hmm. of Kate, mm-hmm. but says nothing about the fact that her son cheated mm-hmm. on her which is like clearly like an issue between them you know and something that they've you know been working to get mm-hmm. past but like oh yeah no mention of that None. like she i'm sure that, she thinks it's kate's fault oh yeah oh yeah of course mm-hmm. her, i mean it, you know it's just that kind of typical mom like my child's perfect and mm-hmm. you ruined no. him. he could have <laughs> done so much yep. better absolutely it is Let's get some mummy issues out right now. Let's just take a moment and yeah, because it, it you know it, it it's very much that it is very much the there's always like the shit rolls downhill and it's like it's all of one person's fault and this other my my son is a perfect angel at that point. You're right, and I love that about her, and because she's so keen on just sticking it to Kate whenever she can stick it to her it directly leads to John getting like murdered mm-hmm. love it I didn't think about it that mm-hmm. way but you're totally yep. right mm-hmm. so do we talk Esther at this point let's, let's do, do it. it I don't have any notes about her actually I have like very little aside <laughs> from the fact that she rules just like there is something that is absolutely gleeful in a movie like watching like a really little kid say and do horrible things like i will never get tired of that in a movie i mean it's scary Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i mean for everything that esther's doing it's just like yeah you you just the the space and leniency that we give kids you know exactly (laughs) It kind of like puts that into perspective a little bit. Just like, oh no, that couldn't, mm-hmm. oh no, they would never, they would never do something like that. Just an accident, coincidence, you know, kids being kids. Like you kind of don't think about how, I mean, everybody knows, I think that kids can be really cruel, yeah. but sometimes it's just the, yeah, how much leniency and how forgiving mm-hmm. adults can be. <laughs> yeah, I think people forget how terrifying children are. Like, I was scary as hell as a kid. Like, I was, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I knew kids who were scary as hell. Like, there are people I wouldn't want to be in, alone in a room with as their seven-year-old selves. You know, like, I, I'm a big fan of... That's one reason I love killer kids movies so much because to me they're the most honest. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's I think it's more honest to be like yeah kids are monsters and they will cut you because that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know they're they can be sweet little angels at times but most of the time they're little monsters because humans are monsters and I just I love that uh, movies not that orphan and orphan first kill are the most down to earth and realistic films but I think they. Uh, are the most honest about human nature in terms of like you no know, kids are scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question. So I, I guess I don't, and maybe it's just because it's a good look and it makes her iconic. <laughs> but the way she dresses, you know, they they make a point of that, and the kids are laughing, and it's kind of like something about her, which would actually make sense to me if she was a kid, because I feel like a lot of kids latch on to something and like I really like this and this is who I am and I'm gonna wear this weird dress all the time 
but the fact that she's 30 something like why do you think she dresses like that i don't know (laughs) okay i think she's like maybe stuck in how she was dressed as a child Mm -hmm. like you know a little kid So so she actually really does like you think she like likes dressing like that I think so. I think she has this, I think it all has to do with like the image Esther has of herself in her Mm -hmm. head. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like when she tries to dress like an adult, she wears the the sexy black dress and the heels and the makeup and and... more modern. So I think it's like, that's how she was dressed as a kid. And she assumes that's how she will pass as a kid. And it kind of is in keeping with her green ribbon deal, but the ribbon around her neck and her, wrists she's like well i've got the the flouncy dress thing going anyway i might as well keep the look going yeah it's i don't know if it's in keeping with like maybe how she was dressed as a child and never grew out of it and also she's thinking this is how i will pass as a child um Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's like something that they're trying to convey that way but it is strange and it does make it's what makes weird the twist a little bit weird is she dresses like she thinks a ch- an, a a child would think an adult would dress if they were trying to be quote unquote sexy. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's very it's very I don't know I don't know why it bothers me or like throws me so much because it's just like I mean clearly clearly Esther's got some problems mm-hmm. and some issues. But I, I guess I interpret her as like knowing what she's doing. Like she's choosing to try to pass as a child, I guess to, yeah, to experience that childhood or just, I don't know, because she gets like a kick out of it and like manipulating the adults. And like, it's like almost like she's like, ha ha, fooled mm-hmm. you. <laughs> <Now> die. <laughs> um, and so I just assumed that she was choosing that intentionally. I just didn't know what the intention was. But yeah, maybe she just actually really does like sub, you know, unconsciously is like, no, I like mm-hmm. this. I, I think <laughs> it's also Esther kind of leaning in because, you know, if she is presenting as herself as an adult, people will still confuse her with a child because of her size. Yeah. So she's leaning in and kind of making fun of the people who do that. Like, well, if you want me to dress like a kid, I'll wear all these flouncy dresses and look as childlike as possible i'll look like a porcelain doll for you and she's kind of like poking people in the eye constantly like this is what you wanted this is what Mm -hmm. you got yeah or maybe it just distracts even from the fact that maybe she's not you know maybe she because she acts really mature so maybe the clothes almost distract from that to Mm. like make her even seem like more immature i don't know i can't get over the clothes (laughs) clearly I love I'm like Esther's an icon and I love the weird was, porcelain yeah, exactly. doll clothes but yeah I, like I get what you're saying though yeah. yeah also I love the ribbon thing because that always just reminds me of like that you know the scary stories you know yes the, yeah, the, the green ribbon, ribbon yeah. 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 Jessica you were saying like the the cruelty of children and you see that with like the bully where yeah. Esther first walks into the classroom it's her first day and the teacher's like, all right, this is our new student, Esther. Everybody make her feel welcome. Be nice to her. And those words have not even left the teacher's mouth when this girl is like, little Bo Peep called. She wants her dress back. And everyone laughs. And the teacher doesn't say a word. It's almost like 
the Simpsons scene with Skinner going, the children are right to laugh at you, <laughs> Esther. You're dressed ridiculous. Um, Teacher's like, Yep. You know, <laughs> and I'll sit down and and you immediately because you don't know like this is an adult. You're like, oh, shit's going to go down between these two kids. And it does. And it's glorious. But I was thinking like I and again, like in my role as a school counselor, I will like talk to kids about, hey, here's why we shouldn't say things like this. Like it's really mean. It can hurt feelings. And I'll tell kids like. A lot of when I work with an, with adults, they talk about things that happened to them when they were your age, and it's all things that people said to them that really stick with them. But I'll also, on the other side of that, go, well, you are a middle schooler, and that's when you don't have that impulse control and you tend to say really mean things. And I'll say to kids, I'm like, look, some of these behaviors you do not that the kids are right to make fun of you, but like they are going to make fun of you if you say or do certain things. Um, and I won't divulge specifics because it would be mean, but there are times where I'm like, you need to maybe curb this behavior because like, I hate to tell you, buddy, at your age, like other kids, like they are going to make fun of you for doing it, whether they're right or wrong. Isn't the point. It's just like, that's the way that kids your age are built. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes me terrible at my job, but it, um, no, yeah, honest. it's just sometimes <laughs> you have to protect kids from themselves. Dude, you're fucking Yeah, weird. it's like, I, <laughs> yeah, we definitely have okay. some of those. How old is Isabel in real life in this movie? Not 11. 11, 11 years old pretty incredible mm-hmm. i'm gonna be honest like kid actors are so hit and miss you know sometimes they're just lower she's brilliant but in this she's she really is. good and just like her her facial mm-hmm. expressions just how like how much control she has over them and like when she like throws those glares mm-hmm. like ugh, brutal. yeah because <laughs> we've seen kids like all of us have seen kids like this i think in real life that act way older than their years and you're like oh i don't like you (laughs) um when she again i keep going back to this moment with her and vera from where she's like when she go to your room and she's like we are well past that now aren't we like Mm. it's or the piano playing scene where she does it to show her up and she's like well you didn't ask me if i could play you just said you wanted to teach me and then she throws that line and it must be really horrible to have one child that like just the way she can cut at somebody and kids are really good at this, like finding your weakness and then hammering it over and over again. Like the one kid who doesn't care about music and one that can't hear at all. And you're like stunned at the meanness, but accuracy of that statement. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I I don't have the benefit of having seen this without knowing the twist beforehand, but it is so ambiguous because kids are good at that. That like they're more astute than you think mm-hmm. they are. They're meaner than you think they are. You know, like they can they notice things that you don't think they're going to notice. So they can cut you to the bone like that. So it's not completely out of the question that she could just be a really bitchy 11 year old girl, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that they are able to play with that line so much and make you 
wonder because I I don't know how uh, predictable it would have been that she was actually an adult the whole time watching the film without foreknowledge. But I I do love that they're like, no, this could conceivably be a child because they will cut you to the quick. Yeah, that that twist hit completely out of left field. Like, if anyone tells you, oh, I knew she was going to be like 30 years old the whole time, like, they are a liar. Like, you, sir, (laughs) are a liar, and I don't appreciate you filling my ears with lies. Um, Because, like, she, it's... Yeah, there's no way you would have known about that. It just it would just seem like this really precocious, odd. Maybe she, like you're maybe she's seen these really terrible things, or she's suffered so much trauma that she's quote unquote mm-hmm. wise be beyond her years. And I think it helps that she is so young. She's so close to the age that she's ostensibly portraying in here. Because I think you can really buy into it at that at that point as well. Um, and I just love how, again, it's Eddie Haskellish from like Leave It to Cleaver, Leave It to Beaver, where you're like, okay, I know, you know, I know what I'm doing when I cut these white roses and give them to you, and it seems like such an innocent Oof. thing, and it's so mean, and it's the absolute meanest thing that can possibly be done, and you kind that's when the moment I think I turn on John a little bit because he just doesn't yeah. seem to give a shit whatsoever. Yeah, I, his character is, I have mixed mm-hmm. feelings on his character. Like, love the Scars guards. Think is he great. one of the, uh, oh wait, no, he's, maybe he's not. Well, I, I don't think that he is. <laughs> I don't think he's a Scars guard. He's a Sars yeah. guard. Right? That confused <laughs> me too. Close enough. You know, they'd stand next to each other in line somewhere at school. <laughs> um, but he, it's so awkward because I do think that he, their relationship does feel pretty real to me. I don't like how he doesn't believe his wife um, past a certain point. But I do like how he handles the, the seduction scene. Oh, I love that so I much. think how... Just the fact that, like, he does actually, like, I don't know, part of me was like, please don't, like, you know, like, accidentally kiss her and then be like, no, what's going on? <laughs> you know, but, like, there's none of that. Like, he, the whole time, he's like, what what are you doing? What's going on? Like, you know, he's trying to be like, you know, he's telling her no, but also, like, what is, like, what is happening? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Like, he's upset at what she's doing, but isn't either un- like aggressive towards her and he doesn't like have a moment where he wants to go in for right. it which it's like ugh, 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 don't do that so i i, I do kind of like how that scene is handled that the whole time he's being kind to her like maybe you're just he's even i think he says at one point like i you're confused mm-hmm. i love you know me and your mom love each other differently like he's actually trying to talk to her like a child mm-hmm. and so yeah. i do like how he handles that scene but, but i don't he, know he's kind of an he's asshole to also wife. in that yeah. moment where like he really goes for it and that he has this emotional breakdown like he's like openly sobbing to what he thinks is a nine-year-old like i don't i'm so worried and i don't know what to do and he's just like having this complete emotional breakdown he's also drugged and he's drunk. like totally <laughs> boozed up at that he's like drunk that whole bottle of wine like it's completely mm-hmm. gone and she's sitting there like the subtle thing of like esther like stroking his hair 
is just so like it's so unnerving but then when he snaps out of it and he's like we're gonna have a serious talk tomorrow about your future in this which begs the question can you just give orphans back like is there a return policy on adoptive kids like is it like target where as long as you keep the receipt you're like hey it's 30 days this one's not working out uh, trying to smother my child with a pillow. We think we want to go in another direction here. Um, but I don't know if you can do that once you bring the child home. I'm not sure. I'm sure you can't. I can't imagine they'd be like, no, if you're stuck with that kid, I don't care but how Think about the kid. <laughs> Just, well, I mean, right. you can lose the kid if you completely mistreat them. But if you're like, yeah, I don't yeah. know, the kid's a little bit weird. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> I, the poor kid, like going in and out of the orphanage at that. I don't know. Like, I should probably know this, but this may get edited out. Um, <laughs> but, but back to John, like, I, I, I agree with Kate because at one point she's like, you give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. is very kind and kind and very understanding to everyone, especially the horrible Dr. Brown. Oh yeah. Who I would like to talk Let's about. See that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, he has no time for his wife, no understanding for his wife, even though she's been through mm-hmm. hell, he's put her through hell cheating and, you know, flirting with neighbors and things like that. Um, but yeah, we oh, he totally eye fucks the neighbor. Oh, he he wants to move that chair. Oh, he her. wants to definitely move that chair. <laughs> and, and when he's like, I'll bring Kate too. He's thinking, if I play my cards right, well, all three of us will be moving that chair. Um, exactly. There's also probably, a there's got to be some unresolved anger at his wife because it's yeah. heavily implied that their daughter is hearing impaired because... Kate wasn't paying attention because she had been drinking. And is that what it is? Cause I, she tells Esther that she was born deaf. Like she says she was born. Mm-hmm. I that, thought or... I, and maybe it's like a miscommunication or like a, a, a goof in the movie because I, they keep talking about the accident by the pond. Yes. And they say yeah. like, she almost mm-hmm. died. They yeah. could be separate instances either... then. I don't know. I I kind of got the impression that that's either a goof in the script or she was just kind of glossing over it for mm-hmm. Esther. But yeah, the, she does say, you know, yes, yeah, she was born deaf and she almost died at the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they imply right. that you, the accident caused, you know, an infection or some kind of physical trauma that led to the death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I mean, also he lost a child. Like I do, yeah, I yeah. do appreciate that everybody in this family, other than the, the really mean mom-in-law, like shows some sign of being affected by the loss of Mm -hmm. this baby and you know i think that he's just yeah he's his way of maybe processing that is to like take esther's side and that's like his way of like yeah i don't know like Mm -hmm. filling that void in himself (laughs) Mm -hmm. like no this is my child now all right (laughs) right exactly he latches onto her so quickly and so deeply yeah yeah. Oh, can we talk about her paintings? Let's do. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We could talk yes. about those paintings. Okay. <laughs> I, I. I just tell me what you think, please. No, you first. You first. <laughs> I just. <laughs> Which ones are we? Ta- are we talking about the the blacklight paintings or the other? The paintings? blacklight. Mm-hmm. The okay, blacklight. Okay. Paintings. Yeah, you have like, like the... once once 
once the secret is revealed, the full-grown Esther, like intertwined with John on the wall, like what you would see basically. Did anyone ever hear watch like the Tom Green show on MTV when it was on? No, okay, a little bit. Did you ever see the one with the slut mobile? <laughs> I did. Okay, not. so there's one where <laughs> not that I remember. He takes his parents' car. And I was like, wait, is that his parents? Yes. I've seen that. He, he like <laughs> paints his parents' car, like the two women making out. He's like, but mom, dad, like you love sluts. Like it is totally that painting on the back of the wall. Like it is <laughs> so fucked up. I love it. It's insane. It's also like, to me, a little too but much. But I think that's what's great about this movie is nobody ever <laughs> says like, it's a little too much. It's like... It's a little too much. What if we add a little bit more in at that point? Exactly. You know, like I love it. It's so disturbing, but it's just like, yeah, let's throw some blacklight porn in a room. Let's do it. Like, horror is to so me big. it's at its best. Right. But to me, horror is at its best when it does that. Like to me, it's like we're gonna have these black light paintings and you're gonna see like the the fire and like the mom being stabbed through the head. And it's like that's great. But what if also we have like her adoptive dad and her naked and making out and someone's like, you know what? Let's do it. Absolutely. I love that. And I always think like horror is at its best when it's not afraid to just be like, eh, fuck it. Let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks. That's true. That's true. I am curious. Like, I don't know if anybody's listening, but like if you painted those paintings, I would like to mm-hmm. hear about that because whoever did that, it's, I mean, it's there. I mean, she's got the skills. Yep. Like, she's a good she's artist. She's a great piano player. She's like better than her adoptive mom is. Like she very quickly shows off how good she is. And she's an incredible young That's artist. True. Like she's kind of like a savant. Like it's what's mm-hmm. amazing about her is like everything. She She's great at murder. Um, she's really good at covering up like there's very little yeah. she can't do it's true dang <laughs> she could paint vans like she's got this frisetta thing mm-hmm. going on with some of her art I just I'm obsessed with her like that's I think that's another reason that people love Esther so much because she's one of those like kind of unstoppable killers I repeat, I think Esther is still alive, mm-hmm. but she's just so good at it. She could be a famous pianist. She could be a famous artist if she wanted. Uh-huh. She wants to pose as a child and just murder people and get a new daddy. Yeah. That's what she wants to do and enjoys doing. Yeah. I The paintings. I do think it's interesting, too, the choice to make them like... I mean, I understand that it's like under a black light, but to make like the neon colors, Mm -hmm. I also think is really interesting because this whole movie is very... I mean, it feels very much of its time, Mm -hmm. right? The blues and the greens and that kind of like Zodiac sort of look, (laughs) you know, that kind of Fincher kind of vibe. And then to like juxtapose it with like... (laughs) these insane like neon (laughs) colors Mm -hmm. i think is actually super fun and just it's just you know obviously they know what they're doing this whole way through but it feels to me like the filmmakers are all just like yeah (laughs) gotcha and i think that's that that attitude to me is just really fun and i think that's like a wom kalei sarah like his when you look at his filmography like house of wax like features a 
you know, Jared Paladecki, who is like completely ensconced in wax from head to toe. And you're like, that already is crazy. And then you have his like death sequence being like his girlfriend trying to like peel him out of the wax and inadvertently like peeling all his skin off by doing it. Like it's just taking things to that next level. Like I haven't seen his corroborations with Liam Neeson, but I can only imagine that, you know, again, like what if we do take it on an airplane? What if we do it on a subway? Like that's fantastic. So it makes me want to watch those. Like I will watch them. I got to get on. I think we need to get on those. Um, Mm So yeah, I I am all for it, and I love the the playground scene because yes. it is shot like every haunted house, like creeping through the hallways or creeping through the dark alley or the underground lair. Like all of a sudden, this crowded playground seems like everybody else has deserted it, including all of the parents. Like there is, aside from the occasional kid that pops out to scare her. It's gone. And she's like this little girl like who knows something is wrong for some reason. And she's creeping around. And then I don't know, like that accident itself feels like such a thing that a kid would do to another kid if they were bullying them. You know, it's not over the top. It feels very real. But you have this like heightened reality because of the way everything is shot on that playground sequence. I love that. I'm sorry. I just realized that he also directed Jungle Cruise. I haven't seen that. Which one is Jungle Cruise? <laughs> With the Rock. Oh, okay. And, the, the Disney uh, theme park attraction. Yeah. Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. So he's um, moved. I have. He's seen left it. Liam Neeson it's... behind, and he's jumped onto the Dwayne Johnson gravy train. <laughs> well, it, there is. It's funny because I have seen that, and there is a level of absurdity to that one as well. I just really appreciate his willingness to just really lean into that absurdity and kind of just the, yeah, the juxtaposition of these like grounded, really heavy emotional like drama, like these really serious issues that I think that he handles actually mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then putting it up against like the playground scene and just like <laughs> the way that he's able to fuse those elements and he just knows like everybody knows exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing and I think that that's really fun. Yeah, I mean, just think of like the final cat and mouse sequences of this movie where you have like Vera Femisha, a grown ass woman, mm-hmm. creeping around her own house, skulking basically like a three foot tall, like young child slash 30 year old woman. Um, and they get into a underwater fisticuffs under a frozen <laughs> pond. And, you know, it's tense. It's shot incredibly well. Like you're able when you watch the movie, you're able to put all of it aside and dismiss like the ludicrousness of it. Like you just buy into it as it's happening. And then later on, when you sit down and talk about it, it's hard not to burst out into giggles. You're like, all right, what's going to happen is she is going to do a crescent kick to this young girl's face (laughs) and snap her neck while she goes, I'm not your fucking mommy bitch. Like what an awesome line. It, It doesn't collapse. It should collapse in on itself. Like it really should. um, But it, for some reason, doesn't. 
I do feel like that last the whole once the the twist you know once she starts like pulling off her mm-hmm. makeup and her teeth and which is also just great mm-hmm. <laughs> all that that entire scene where she's you know uh just stripping down to the real Esther that it is a pretty it's pretty long mm-hmm. too like that last sequence I've only seen the movie twice now but both times I'm like oh this is still going yeah. <laughs> like all right so that's also kind of fun too it's not as I don't know. They don't let you off the hook it's too, as quickly as you might It's seen. two hours, but it doesn't feel like two hours. Like, it doesn't drag. Like, usually a movie like this, like, you could make a case for, like, a tight 90. Like, you could probably cut the opening scene and just have it implied is what what's happened to them. Um, there's a lot of things you could probably cut from this movie and do a tighter 90 minutes, but it never feels like a two-hour movie to me. Like, usually a two-hour horror movie drags you know terrifier 2 is two and a half hours long that doesn't drag to me like it somehow keeps going in in the best possible way um actually to your note like rachel you have a note here about like how patient this movie is in terms of like providing the reveals do you want to kind of dive into that yeah i mean i i'm just always i'm impressed by that just the fact that it has you going on this ride. And I think I I noted it this time, like it doesn't talk about the Sarn Institute or what the Sarn Institute is. I can't remember which one, but until an hour and 23 minutes Mm -hmm. in. So up until that moment, they have you like, they're going along this narrative of like, no, she's adopted. Like she's a kid. There's something weird about her. Like she's clearly a little disturbed. Mm But it's not until the Sarn Institute, you know, gets dropped that like, oh, no, this was, you know, a mental institution that it's like, wait, what? You know, this is not an adoption agency. Yep. So it's that's a long time to kind of wait to kind of to, to drop that. And I think it's just I think it's handled really. And even after that, it takes even further for it to like really right. reveal like her her whole story. And I just appreciate that a lot. And not only do the do that they even when they introduce the sarn institute they have like a whole minute long sequence where like you have like the language barrier you don't even get like Mm -hmm. the movie shortcut where it's like oh yes i have like a russian accent but speak perfect english let me get you a doctor you have to play the whole like uh hold on let me try to find someone for you like they can't communicate I'm going to put the phone down and you're going to wait on hold while I go find somebody like it is not afraid to take its sweet ass time doing whatever it wants to do. And then they're like, Oh, let me send you a picture because they're like, Oh, we don't have anybody by that Mm -hmm. name. And she's like, maybe it's her mom. Like there's still like some reasonable, like, murkiness mm-hmm. to it where they're pl- they're toying and it's like oh maybe her mom was insane right. and she comes from this long line of ki- you know so it, it just how they draw out that twist I think I can I'm like jealous of you Mike like I'm jealous that you didn't mm-hmm. know <laughs> it makes the movie more fun it really really does and even going back and watching it like I forgot because so much happens in this movie like I forgot Mm -hmm. 90% of it I just remembered all the core basics of it 
Uh, like I remembered like CCH Pounder getting like killed, but I forgot that like Max was drawn into that and that like Max mm-hmm. is kind of a little accomplice for her. I forgot about, you know, like the Playboys in the clubhouse and like him <laughs> shooting the bird. Um, all of these like little things that go on in the movie i forgot about like her watching the two of them like go to pound town in the kitchen which is a whole thing like huh. i don't want to ask people about like that just doesn't seem like something that happens like past a certain age once you have kids in the house like our kids are asleep let's go for like not even a quickie in the kitchen over the kitchen island like i'm like this is where my kids eat cheerios there's probably like spilled milk on this thing and it's gonna be sticky and like we're gonna walk 30 feet to the bedroom do you know what i mean like especially if your kids are like 11 and 12 like that's yeah i don't know if your kids are young enough you're like oh no they're down Mm -hmm. you know they're down they're out yeah but it's pretty old pretty pretty big risk you're taking there right right i don't know just (laughs) <laughs> no i don't have kids but if there were any chance of like a 12 year old walking in on me i would not be in nope. the kitchen getting it on no absolutely not <laughs> old enough where you couldn't really just make up something mm-hmm. right? <laughs> oh. <Not> to believe <laughs> no this is how adults cook at night we just didn't want to get we didn't want to get our pajamas dirty so we had to Oh. I, yeah. Oh, I spilled stuff all over my clothes. Yeah, just, just had to take them. My off. goodness, um, <laughs> Jessica. You we've mentioned a couple times, like Doctor Browning, pl- played by the lovely uh, Margot. Oh, hold on one second. Played by the lovely Margot uh, Martindale, who is so great in everything she is in, uh, and she's just despicable here. <laughs> She absolutely is. Like I have, uh, I, I was going to say, I've never seen a therapist blame their client like this, this mm-hmm. much, but that's a lie because I've had a terrible mm-hmm. therapist who was a lot like this, which is one reason I respond so viscerally um, to bad therapists in horror movies. Um, not my current one. I love my current one. She's probably not listening, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what if she was? I, she, none of what I'm saying would surprise mm-hmm. her. She's heard way okay. worse from me. So... <laughs> um but no she is constantly telling kate that she's constantly gaslighting Mm -hmm. kate like telling her no what you're seeing isn't real this is all your fault it's because you're a drunk and a terrible mother like she is (laughs) really going it it probably comes down to your like in your um your uh, inadequacies as a mother it's like whoa that is what brutal Root. I, I just I don't understand you know no wonder uh, someone in Kate's position would be struggling regardless but no wonder she's having so much trouble when this is the person mm-hmm. supposedly helping her with her grief and processing this loss like telling her everything's her fault that you know her cheating you know disconnected husband is the one she should be listening to they're doing an intervention for her when she's the only one who mm-hmm. can see what is clearly happening you know I I love Margot Martindale, but I have so much hatred. For oh yeah, <laughs> we booked you a spot well, at the like, rehabilitation center. Like yes, you did that's what, what now? I was say. Like yeah, like they have no real evidence mm-hmm. that exactly. she's drinking. Yeah, like the bottle of wine is there, but it's not it's, opened. Exactly. And like and like oh, we have 
you're you're going to rehab like i just felt yeah that was like oh that's right when she's like you need to stop lying to yourself you need to stop lying to yourself like what like what evidence like there's been no real questioning of what's going on here like look again is she as bad of a therapist as um Dr. Sam Loomis from Halloween? No, because she did not take a 10-year-old girl and use her as bait. So still better than Dr. Loomis, I would say. Like, that is... But um, one of the things... One of the things I do as a therapist, like, when we do... When we have a really hard session with a... And look, it can be hard. Like, there are times, like, after a session, like, when there's, like, a lot of resistance from a client where I'm like, oh just like it when i'm done i feel like completely drained but i feel like part of my role like when there's like a really difficult session or difficult period is like to check in with the person and also say at the end like you did a lot of really hard work today like are you all right before you walk out of the door do we need to like decompress for a minute but before you walk out i want to let you know you did a lot of hard work today this was tough and you killed it keep it up like almost like to a certain extent, cheerleading and rooting for the person. Um, I've had a person say to me recently, like, I just want someone to like validate what I've gone through. And I'm like, if you need someone that's going to say, I'm sorry that you've been through that, that sucks. It's horrible. And I'm really sorry that happened to you. Like we can do that. And you never get the sense that that has ever happened before. It feels like just everything about it feels so cold and sterile, right down to yeah. like her body language. Um, yeah, it, it's it's always interesting watching therapist sessions in horror movies, being a therapist, because <laughs> I do start to compare. And there are times I see a really good one and I'm like, oh, I'm going to totally like Margot Kidder, Kidder in Halloween, too. Uh, is fantastic. I'm like, I'm going to steal something that she did right there and maybe use that sometime. Uh, this one is rough. Yeah, and I'm sure Esther obviously has a long history of seeing therapists and talking to professionals and learning what to mm-hmm. say and how to say it. But there's a part of me that can't help but think Dr. Browning really, really sucks at what she does when she takes everything that Esther is telling her at oh, yeah. value and cannot see Thank how you. manipulative she mm-hmm. is. Yeah. She's a bright girl who's been through a lot and she really doesn't like you, Kate. Like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I'm with her. I don't like you either, mm-hmm. Kate. Like, that's what she's yeah. telling her. It's just astonishing how terrible she I'd is. I'd be shopping for a new therapist at that yes. point. Be like, this is not going to work out, ma'am. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she's going back to her no. after all this. <laughs> no, no, she's not going to be the one to help. I, I, I think you might have a fucking lawsuit. You might, Doctor, Doctor Browning might, you know, her license might be in a little bit of jeopardy based on, yeah. uh, based on everything. But uh, oh, can you just imagine her like, or keeping an appointment, mm-hmm. making an appointment, and then going in and just like putting the newspaper down in front mm-hmm. of her and be like, You're "I told you, fired, told you, bitch." <laughs> oh um, where do you think Kate? Is? Like I said, my thing about Max. Like I think Max is fucked up at the end of this movie. Where is Kate at the end of this? Like where? Where? Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> 
somewhere far away with Max doing her damnedest to protect mm-hmm. her and find her a and her son, therapist. right? Mm-hmm. He survives. Oh, he survives. I forgot because I I accepted Mike's yeah. <laughs> version. That, maybe yeah. she leaves Daniel <laughs> behind. He's, He's dead, dead to me. Maybe she leaves. Maybe him. she just leaves him behind. Yeah. Maybe she just. You could stay I mean, with that, Grandma. Right. Like that house. You know they'll make some repairs, right? This one. Wait. The house doesn't burn down. No, but she drives her car. That's another thing. Like she doesn't just like drive at like breakneck speed to get to the house. Like she drives through the house. Like it doesn't just like park and run in. Like she literally drives through her home. Like that's another bug nut thing. She's going to have to repair that, but I think the land, that house is really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the land alone is probably worth a lot. So she can sell that, move to Seattle and her, with her kids and live on a houseboat and, um, you know, hopefully run into Tom Hanks. Are you adopting another kid life. after this? Are you like, well, I still want a third kid or are you like, no, she's, done? nope, she's You're done. All done. She's done. She's done. She's maybe getting rid of one of them. So yeah. Just her son, yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think this is where she's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm okay, and I'm just, you know, I don't need to fill this void, and I'm I love the kids I have, and mm-hmm. moving on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I'm. She's still young and still a babe, and she'll have no problem meeting some rich, some rich guy that you know works for. What's in Seattle? Amazon. Yeah, Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks. Um, I'm looking at the kid who played. Daniel, uh, his name is Jimmy Bennett. Like, there's a picture of him as an adult here on his IMDb. He's definitely not allowed to live near schools. Like, this kid is. There's just not not a fan. Oh, he looks like a YouTuber. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just again, some faces like he looks like Pete Davidson stunt double. Like, that would probably be what his, like, he's doing. I don't know. He's still acting. Is he? Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. of, You know, I guess. Yeah, he's done a couple, like, little things here or there. But I don't know. Not a fan. Not a fan of this guy. (laughs) Don't like anything about him and his vibe. He's in the new Amityville horror, so you know when it's time to do the Amityville. Series, we're not doing. We can, um, we can revisit. We're not doing all thirty. <laughs> There's oh like God. thirty something. There are two series that we'll probably never do. We'll never do the Amityville series. We might do like some one-offs, like for bonus shows. Never say never. <sighs> It would be a tough. It's about time. It would be. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like that would be a fun one to talk about, and I can't ever see doing like the Hellraiser series. I just can't. Yeah, you know, I I heard you say that on Psychoanalysis, and I was like, Mike, come on, now. come on. You know, what would it take? I guess what would it take to get. Yeah, I said a lot of things on the Hellraiser episode on that one. I don't know how much Jen edited out, but <laughs> went to some places. Um, all right. Is there anything else we have on this movie? I think we've kind of hit everything. I do want to add okay. one thing. According to Wikipedia, Jimmy Bennett actually is a YouTuber, so spot oh. there. But his family runs a hard rock themed crepe restaurant, and I just felt like the listeners needed to know that. <sighs> 
all of these Weird. none of these things make me like him more like none of these <laughs> um this movie's great yeah yes and i think it is just a testament to it that you can know the twist and if people even though we've said all of this shit and we've been talking about it for an hour and a half it doesn't even matter like you can still watch yep. this knowing everything we've just said and it's still fun and it's still awesome. Exactly. And I think that's not every movie can still be enjoyable knowing exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. And this is still super fun. Agreed 100%. Yeah, I wish every horror movie was this fun. Like it is and it's been a great year for like really fun horror movies between you know, Orphan First Kill, speaking of, between X, mm-hmm. between, I haven't seen Pearl, but, you know, I know that I'm going to love it, and everyone seems to think it's a blast. Terrifier 2 was super fun to me. Barbarian is, like, the most fun I've had it in the movies in so long. Like, it's, and I just think that horror is at its best when it doesn't necessarily have to be a horror comedy, but when it's not afraid to embrace camp and to embrace being more than a little bit ridiculous. Um, There is something about moments where your jaw just hits the floor because you can't believe that they went there. And there are just a dozen moments like that. And a lot of it is everyone in this movie is firing at all cylinders. Like Vera Farmiga, incredible in this movie. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard, you know, do we love the character of John? Like, no. Do we love what Peter is doing with this role? Like, he just, it's really fun to watch. Like, that moment when he just checks out his neighbor, like, his eyes go down for, like, he's like, I got, like, one second to get this look in, and he does it. You're like, yeah, I love it. Um, But again, the queen, the MVP, like, Isabel Furman owns this role. You can tell that, like, She's just taking it all in. She seems wise beyond her years with like every choice that she makes. And I'm so, so glad that like a dozen years later, she gets to return to it. And just to even, we'll talk next week when we do Orphan First Kill, like just takes it to a whole new level. Like God, like absolutely fantastic. So chef's kiss. Five stars, no mm-hmm. notes. Uh, everybody go watch Orphan. All right. Jessica, where could our listeners find you? Um, the- for the time being, at least, you can uh-huh. find me on Twitter <laughs> at We Who Walk Here. Um, I have a website, wewhowalkhere.com, where I share all my writing. I'm trying to update so all my cosplays on there as well, so you can keep up with me there. Um, and I've been sharing links to other places you can keep up mm-hmm. with me. I've got a newsletter, but Twitter at We Who Walk Here. Excellent. Rachel, and what are you, Jessica, anything that you're working on or posting soon that you want to promote? Um, I've got a couple of pieces with Slash Film coming out soon. Um, I've got something on what we do in the shadows, something on zombie movies, and something on Romero movies, which I have another piece on that in the works. So a lot of fun things coming out. Excellent. Rachel, how about yourself? I am also currently on Twitter, and they can pry that checkmark out of my gold <laughs> hands and take it because I'm not paying $8. Um <laughs> at sorry for how i was going with that at vinyl girl g-r-r-r-l and i'm also on instagram if you've already left twitter <laughs> at the vinyl girl 
and um, have a couple pieces coming out probably this, this week, next week, I don't know. Um, at Dread Central, I have an interview with composer Michael Yazerski, who just did um, the Pikmin's model episode of Cabinets of Curiosity, the Guillermo del Toro mm. series. And I'll have an interview with Colin Stetson about, which I'm very excited about, about his score for the menu, which is also, spoiler alert, very yeah. good. Um, and then uh, Terror on the Turntable article at Dread Central on Basic Instinct, Jerry Goldsmith's score for Basic Instinct. You, you two are just putting me to shame. Just like we have all these, like, uh, I've got just these shows. Um you can that's a lot you yeah, can, a lot. <laughs> but you're doing all the work this episode i'm just hanging back and making myself look that. like a jackass while you bring the insight so you did the outline and the editing <laughs> do not sell yourself short so also your dog <laughs> ran in grabbed something and ran away and it was adorable it yeah, was so, was so cute, cute. <laughs> um <laughs> all right you can for the time being over on twitter find us at pod and pendulum uh, go to our website, podandthependulum.com, or you can get all of our back episodes. Um, oh, Rambo, what an adorable fella. <laughs> um, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can hear my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, where we look at horror movies through the lens of mental health. We're currently doing like a run of like patron picks where some folks have uh, over in psychoanalysis, like given us a little bit of extra money to pick an episode and or a topic. So we've done Hellraiser. We've done the loved ones. Uh, we're actually recording on barbarian this weekend. And then we have, I think after that, the night house. So, um, yeah, it's been like a really <laughs> good run. Like, I'm like, do we want to do Barbarian or Nighthouse? Like, let's do Lighter. This is dropping on Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah, we hope, uh, you know, give me a listen over there. So, obviously here, if you haven't heard all of our episodes, go to um, podandthependulum.com. It's really easy to find our shows there. Uh, we have about almost 160 up at this point. Um want to say a huge thanks to all our listeners like october was our best month by far um it, it's really humbling like how many people checked us out and checked out our halloween kills and halloween ends episodes but also started to go through the back catalog as well like i look at the downloads and you see a handful of like all these early episodes getting checked out. I think one of our followers, I think at Sea Dog, um, sent a screenshot uh, of like basically 10 of our episodes in their queue as they're going through them, which is like, you know, it's one of those things you never know. Like, are people actually listening and paying attention? And when you see some stuff like that, it's really nice like it's like okay this is kind of worth it like we were joking earlier about one of our listeners calling um our halloween ends episode like borderline unlistenable which was like i don't know like i thought that was a really good show um so it's nice to see the other other side of that as well if you like what we do go to uh apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast please take a minute and leave us a five-star review it's got to be five stars um oh it does because like four stars really they actually hurt um okay. yeah like it's it's weird you know like 
I don't know. I don't. I don't quite understand the algorithm, but my understanding is like anything less than five you're stars not is first. You're bad. Last. Exactly. <laughs> um, so five star review and a few kind words. It goes a long way to having uh, having new listeners find us, um, and again, just lets us know we're on the right track. So we will be back next week with uh, Orphan First Kill which is, again, going to be a super fun... I just put it on in the background today and immediately got like sucked back into it again, just like how much fun. And then the, it's another like reveal that I'm like, I did not see that coming. Like, bravo, like you managed to surprise me. After that, we'll be diving into the Phantasm series, which uh, Rachel picked that one. I am really excited to get into that um because i think i've said this elsewhere like phantasm fans are a different breed um (laughs) and i mean that in a kind and affectionate way i don't mean that in a gatekeeping way uh what do you got there i was like i don't know if you can see it the ball is back fantastic yeah my phantasm poster. (laughs) um when someone tells you like they are super into phantasm you know they're a hardcore horror fan uh, and they also tend to be really good fans, too, as well of of stuff. So we're excited for that. Um, we are planning some different types of episodes for 2022, like to go in between some of our franchise episodes. We're planning some really fun things. Uh, we're planning on like retooling and relaunching the Patreon uh, next year as well. And yeah, like, you know. Basically, if you think you're going to get rid of us, uh, you're not. We're here for the long haul, whether you like us or not. Um, and if you don't don't like it, I don't know why you would listen to this for two hours and then be like, I hate you guys. That's really fucking weird. I also don't know why I'm being so aggro with our listeners right now. That, too, is really weird yeah it's been a week look i had a kid stick his hand in hot glue today for funsies and then burn his hand off so i don't know it's a maybe check his birthday that's how you learned about that he's he's actually 12 oh all right all right everybody have a great one thanks for listening and we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks